0: yes thank you for that well it was it's good seeing everyone tonight uh on this very rainy night but you have made it here and so glad you could make it welcome and thank you jeff for what you said and ryan both of both of y'all that was awesome all right so back by popular demand a lot of people told me how much they enjoyed it before many many people so i gotta say it again we got some more jokes Oh, yeah. All right. Why was the little ink drop crying? Why? Because his mother was in a pen doing, doing a long sentence. You know, get it? In, in the pen doing a long sentence. You get it? Yes. All right. All right. One more. One more. Does everyone? Does anyone ever think about the fact that if you have fake plants, will they die if you don't pretend to water them? You know, because you gotta water real plants, and so fake plants, you gotta pretend to water them. This is this is good stuff. All right, all right. Well, I'll move away from the jokes for now. I have, a, I have a picture up here of my brothers. I love my brothers a lot. Yes. Those are my two brothers with me and Katie at my youngest brother Justin's graduation. Anybody have siblings? Yes, yeah, siblings are great. Some of us are only, only children and our only childs or however you say that. And, uh, you know, I just, yeah, it's great being a sibling. I have two younger brothers, and I love them very much. They love me a lot now. They didn't love me a lot a long time ago. Uh, One of my favorite stories in thinking about them is a story that they bring up often, and Katie knows how often they bring this story up. Basically, I wasn't the nicest older brother, and so they used to play Game Boy DS a lot, specifically Pokemon. Well, I had my own room, and those two shared their room. Well, in my room, I have my stuff, and you don't touch my stuff, which is perfectly reasonable. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't learn how to share. It took me a couple of decades. But in not sharing anything, one day I come home, and my brothers have been in my stuff, and I go off. I'm furious. And I go to my mom, I'm like, hey, Jeremy and Justin were in my stuff again. Can you, can you do something about it? And she didn't want to hear it. And so I go to my brothers, and I'm like, hey, stay out of my stuff. Leave my stuff alone. And they're like, they don't care either. They're like, whatever. We'll, we'll go back in there when you're not here. And I'm just, like, furious because I'm like, is there no justice in this house? What is wrong with you people? And so I take justice into my own hands, and I go and take both of their DSs when they're asleep. And then I go and hide them in the, back of the clo- in the back of their closet. Well, the next day, they're obviously freaking out. Hey, where's, where's our Game Boys? Blah, blah, blah. My mom comes and corners me, and she's like, hey, did you take your brother's DSs? And I'm like, no, nah, not at all, no. And then my brother's are like, hey, we know you took it. Did you take it? No, not at all. No, I don't even, I don't, man, that sucks, no. <laughs> Funny enough, a couple of days later, as they're still freaking out, I forgot where I hid it. And so I just have to keep lying about it, being like, oh, yeah, I don't know where those things are. I don't know what happened to them. So they pester my parents enough where they get new ones. A year later, they're cleaning out their closet, and they find both of their DSs in the back of the closet. They come and corner me. It's like, did you do this? And I'm like, "Ah, yeah, I did. I did. I did. It was great. And they were furious at me. And you know what stunk about that is not only did I lie, you know, when I got really mad at them about going into my stuff, and not only did, you know, I basically, not only did I steal their things, but I also, like, kind of lost their trust for a while because they really did not trust me again. I was pretty evil back then, so I'll, I'll give them this. They're fair to feel this way. But they didn't trust me, really, until I became a Christian. It was like... It was really bad and they still bring it up because they still are frustrated over me and the things that I did to get under their skin. Now another story, some of y'all know that I play basketball or used to play basketball. I'm kind of retired now because I'm old and my body hurts and basketball is hard on your body. Sorry, David. But in thinking about playing basketball in ninth grade, we had just played a game. I'm on the JV team and we're at the varsity game. Now, we had just had a great victory, like usual. And after this victory, I'm like, all right, let me celebrate with a victory dinner. Two concession stand hot dogs. I'm very excited about these hot dogs. Well, one of my teammates, who is new to the school and we're still getting to to know each other, this dude goes and reaches his hand over, grabs one of my hot dogs, takes one bite, I don't know how one human being has a mouth so big that this bite could take 67% of my hot dog away. <laughs> but he did it in one bite, in one swoop, just, ah. And I was furious, and I was like, no, you did not. Man, I, I, I went off. I was ready to fight him. I was like, oh, H-E, double hockey sticks. No, you did not take my hot dog. I was so mad at this dude, and I was ready to fight him. Fortunately, I did not fight him because he was about 6'9", and he weighed about 260 pounds. And so I did not fight him, but I was furious at him. And my friends were like, oh, Jordan, chill. It's just a hot dog. And I'm like, no, this is, this is ridiculous. I, was, I don't even like hot dogs that much. I was just, it was just the principle. It's the principle of the matter. You don't, you don't go and take a man's hot dog like that. And so this happens. I'm, like, kind of fuming over it, but then eventually I'm just like, all right, you know what, never mind. It doesn't matter. And, like, later on that night, I just let it go. I just let it go. And it was really cool because we soon after became very close friends, and he was one of my best friends in high school. He is, like, I, I, I mean, I love him to this day. And it, we have two stories here. We have the story of me, one, being annoyed in one way with my brothers and then getting payback. And then we have another story of me being genuinely wronged, but I let it go. Tonight, we're going to continue our Jesus series. Sean spoke last week on Jesus and how he is the best friend ever, and it was awesome. If you haven't listened to it, we got a podcast, so you can go back and listen to it. It's so good. But this week, we're going to talk about Jesus and offense. Jesus and offense, not Jesus and like offense, like offense and defense, not that, but Jesus and offense, like picking up offense, taking offense with things. I'm pretty excited about this because I'm like, oh, this is something everybody can easily relate with. Now, offense in the Bible, in the New Testament, the word offense, it's a Greek word. It's skandalizo. It means to be offended. It means to like stumble over an impediment to entice someone to sin to cause someone to get stuck somewhere. Uh, just to help you to understand, imagine two people, they're kind of walking together, and then while they're walking together, a rock is on the ground, and one of them or both of them trip trip over this rock. Well, a fence is, let's say that one person who trips over the rock, they stop and look at the rock, the other person keeps walking, and this person could leave the rock, and keep walking with the other person, or they can stay by the rock and pick up the rock and hold on to that rock of offense. That's offense. It is stopping and staying with an offensive action that is done. It's staying there. It's getting stuck there. Sometimes offense involves two people. Where two people trip over the rock, they both stand looking at, stare looking at the rock, and they're like, I'm not letting this go until this is settled, but not in the best way. There's no forgiveness, there's no reconciliation, there's no more walking together. You stay at the rock. Offense is an action, but being offended is a choice. Offenses are done to us, but what we're talking about tonight is the response to what is done to us. Sometimes we are genuinely wronged. Sometimes we're just wounded by something that maybe it wasn't a wrong, maybe it was just like my brothers going to my room and touching my stuff when that's not really a law or anything, it was just something that annoyed me. Offense is not an action, it's a choice. Offense is never given, it's only taken. Someone can't make you offended. No one can make you offended. You can only take offense, you can pick up the rock and you can stay there. And the thing about picking up offense is, whenever you pick up offense, it always leads to retaliation. Always. It, that's, that's just what happens. It just leads to retaliation. I remember seeing on Twitter recently, which was kind of interesting because on Twitter, these two people disagreed about something, which is just really strange because you just never see that on Twitter. You never see people disagree on Twitter ever. And so on this one particular occasion when people actually did agree about, disagree about something, one of the, per- we'll just say person A sent a tweet out, and then the other person perceived their tweet to be racist. And so they therefore figured they would right the wrong by calling the other person another racist name. And I was like, man, that is so silly. They thought that they would fix the problem by taking offense and responding with racism, so I'm going to answer racism with racism. But that's kind of what we do with offense, you know? When offense happens to us, we retaliate. If we hold on to it, we retaliate in a way where we have to maybe get them back. Like I had to get my brothers back. Or you could let it go. Now I just want to say this: Some of you are like, "All right, Jordan, hold on." You know, as we're about to dab- dabble with offense tonight, dude. There's a difference between hot dogs and some real wrongs. Your boy, he ate your hot dog. But I have some legitimate wrongs that have happened to me in my life. How are you going to tell me that, like, it's equivalent? Yeah, okay, some people do some offensive things, but what about genuine wrongs? Yes, not all offenses are created equal. But tonight, we're not talking about whether offenses are legitimate or not, we're talking about the response to offenses. Because the Bible says that they're supposed to be the same response to it all. Actual forgiveness, actual reconciliation, actual not holding on or staying at the rock, but continuing to move forward and attempting to continue to walk with the person or people who have offended you. Does that make sense at all? And I just got like, we're going to say the how early because we're just going to like, this is going to be kind of like, not all over the place, but I'm just going to keep coming back to the same point because I just, the scripture is amazing. and I just think it's, it's where we have to camp tonight. Proverbs 19.11, I liked how Ryan started us off in Proverbs, and we'll just keep going with Proverbs. Proverbs 19.11, Solomon says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. In the Bible, it talks a lot about giving glory to God. Rarely does it talk about us getting glory. But this is one of the few verses that talks about it being a big deal for you to, like, heap on praise to yourself. Or, like, it's, it's an opportunity to, to add fame to yourself in God's sight. And that is overlooking offense. If you want to be great in God's eyes, overlook offenses. Overlook offenses. All right, all right, I'll pray and we'll go further, further up and further in. Father God, this is like, this is a, this is a subject that we can all relate with, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you would, any rocks that any of us are holding on to, that you would help us to move past them and to seek reconciliation. And even more than this, Lord God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts tonight so that we would be a people who could live above offense, as you've called us to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So before I say, before we read our scripture, I want to say, just to kind of help you like understand, what are some things that we get offended about? Uh, we get offended when there are misunderstandings. Somebody says something or does something, and it's like, oh, yeah, I thought you meant this, or I thought you meant that. We get offended about that. What's another thing that we get offended about? We get offended when somebody doesn't live up to our values. Maybe you came from a home where you chores were a big deal, and you have to clean and, like, carry your weight when it comes to cleaning in the house. And maybe your roommate does no cleaning because their mother or their father did all the cleaning in their house. Y'all go and live together. One person is cleaning. The other person isn't carrying their weight. There's tension. One person takes offense because, oh, I always clean, and this other person never cleans. All of us can relate with seeing a value that we hold high, and then someone else not living up to that value, we take offense over this. What's another thing we take offense over? Not getting recognition. I've legitimately taken offense at someone because someone got praise over something that I did a year ago and no one said anything. And I'm like, oh, hold on. So y'all can praise so-and-so, but you didn't praise me? Not getting recognition. What else do we take offense at? We take offense, or at least me, I I will totally take offense at someone correcting me. At someone telling me what I already know and am already working on. And if you point that out to me and say, hey, Jordan, like, oh, I, if you know me well, your boy is late to one out of three things that he has to go to. It's, it's, it's my cross to bear. I really struggle with being late. And when it comes to being late, I'm really trying to get better at being late. But if somebody tells me that I am late, like, oh, Jordan, you need to work on being late. Hey, don't, don't tell me what I already know about who I am I already know that I already know that I'm late you don't need to tell me that I don't even care if you didn't know that I already knew don't tell me what I already know about who I am does anybody else do that I will also take offense and I don't know if y'all can relate with this one but man I I totally do it I will take offense over compliments it is like, it is, it is a real problem. Like somebody could be like, I'm speaking right now. Somebody could be like, oh, Jordan, I really enjoyed your sermon this week. It was really good. It was super abstract and everything, and you like brought all the th- stuff together. And then I'll hear that, and I'll be like, oh, oh, okay. So you're telling me that my sermons aren't simple enough. Oh, so I can't preach a simple sermon. Oh, okay. Or I had another person who was like, oh, Jordan, I really liked your sermon. I, it was super simple, super simple, but it was so good. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, so I can't be abstract. <laughs> I can't be complex? Oh, is that what you're saying? I will totally do that. Like, and it, It's like, I don't know, in the movies, you see a guy who's like, you know, his wife walks in. And, you know, I say a movie because this doesn't happen in my house. Not at all. But in a movie, you will see a guy like... His wife is like, hey, honey, how do I look in this? You look great. Oh, do I not look great the other days? And he's like, you don't look good. Oh, so you don't think I'm pretty? Can I not say anything? Like, that that really doesn't happen in my house, thankfully. But that's, like, these are some of the things that we take offense over. And another thing that we take offense over, we will take offense over people not meeting our expectations. If somebody doesn't live up to our expectations for them and what their life should look like, we will totally take offense to that. We will pick that rock up and camp on it and just be like, I'm not going anywhere until you get better. One person I did this with, and this is a little bit more serious, but it was my dad. For years, I was like, this is what a father should look like, and you do not look like this. And I, was, I said some things to my father that I regret we, we, had, we had periods of time where we refused to talk to each other for months. It was like, it was really bad. And it was all based around this idea that I just wouldn't let go of him not being what I thought he should be. But funny enough, as time has gone on, I have realized that he is not only a better father than what I wish he was. If he was the father who lived up to my own expectations, he would actually have to step down. From the father that he was. But it's taken me years to realize that. But we do that. You know, we take offense over somebody not living up to our expectation. All right, so what we're going to do tonight is I have, like, gone on and on about what offense is. And we're going to look at two stories. One story of someone who could have picked up offense at God. And then another person who could have picked up offense at the people around him. Both of these stories are incredible and they are two of the three stories that I think are the best examples of people who could have picked up offense in the Bible. And we'll see how they responded. Now one thing about these two people is like I think this is something that we can all relate with, all of us, and it is very pertinent for us because one we can pick up offense at people. And if you pick up offense at people, it is a relationship killer. It literally stops you being able to walk with someone else. I love the way T. Austin Sparks put it. T. Austin Sparks, some of us like to read him. He said, if you get upset and offended and go off and sulk and nurse your grievance, you will die. Man, straight to the point. Straight to the point. But he's right. Offense, that's what happens. Offense, we hold on to an offense, and then we let it lead to unforgiveness. And then it leads to unforgiveness, and then we let it lead to Bitterness. And then we have the bitterness cycle repeated where we just go and try to repeat the same thing that was done to us and hurt responds with hurt and then the world just gets worse. Offense is a killer. Not only is it a killer of relationships with other people though, it's also a killer of our relationship with God. It is crushing for our relationship with God. I have seen people, I have been in a place with, with myself where God didn't live up to my expectations of what God should be and so, therefore, I won't walk with him anymore. This is what God should really be like. You see people, they, because something in their life doesn't work out the way that they hope, they give up not only on themselves, but they give up on God. They quit trusting him. So, we're going to look at someone who could have taken offense at God and someone who could have taken offense at their surroundings. The first one is our friend John the Baptist. Talked about him a few weeks ago. And this is Matthew 11. This is the guy. He's living out in the desert, was supposed to baptize Jesus, did baptize Jesus. This is great. This is right early on when Jesus is starting his ministry. Matthew 11, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? John is in prison. He's done what he's supposed to do. He's obeyed God, and he's in prison for this. You know he is having some doubts about God's plan and what Jesus is up to because he's like, why am I in prison for doing what I was called to do? Jesus replied to John's disciples Go back and report to John what you hear. The blind have sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor, the poor. But then he says, "Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me." And uh, in KJV it says, "And blessed is the one, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me." who does not pick up the stone of offense because of me. This man, this is Jesus's cousin in prison. This is the man who baptized Jesus. This is the man who prepared the way for Jesus. This is the man who went on saying all this stuff about what Jesus would be. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. And he was renowned for the life that he lived for God. In fact, he was so renowned that Jesus, a few verses later, goes on to say that there has been no one who's been born of a man or one, man and woman, no one who's been born on this earth that is greater than John the Baptist. He's the greatest man that ever lived. He said this about him a few verses later John had no family. He lived without entertainment. He lived without friends. He lived without a wife. He lived without a home. He lived without children. He was fully devoted to God. And for that, he is in prison. I mean, his integrity towards God was really almost beyond human understanding. It's hard to wrap your mind around someone so devoted to God like John the Baptist. And this man is in prison. And let me just help you to understand the significance of what John is asking. Because John is like, yo, hey, Jesus, um, you were cousins. And I just was paying attention to some of the stuff you were doing because, you are I preached about you for a minute. And, uh, well you love to quote the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, chapters 35, chapters 58, and you love to say things like what you said in Luke four eighteen. He said, you said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus, you said, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to recover sight for the blind and set the oppressed free. And so John is like, yo, dog, um, you just kept talking about all the different things that the Savior was going to do, and man, you know, you've been doing a lot of that stuff. It's like real good. It's great, in fact. But well, um, you did say that you would, you did say you would set the captives free, and um, well, my address is still like sixteen hundred Prison Avenue, and so I just wanted to let you know I'm here. Help, uh, uh, Jesus. And then Jesus says this response. He says, go back and tell John this. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect another? And Jesus said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. He is there fulfilling those roles. He's doing it. And then he says, the blind have sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, who doesn't pick up the rock of offense because I don't meet their expectations. Why does Jesus say this to him? Why would he add that in there? He didn't ask him about, yeah, I didn't ask you about offense. I asked you about, are you the Messiah? Because the Messiah is supposed to do all these things, and I'm still in prison. And Jesus says, yeah, but let me bring up offense too. Because he's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment of the prophecy. But, John, you're going to stay in prison, and you're going to die. You're going to die there. I'm not getting you out. I bet Jesus' lips were quivering as he said this. I bet it hurt him so much inside. To go back and have his disciples, John's disciples, go and tell him, Jesus said he's doing all this stuff for everyone else and that he's living up to all the things that he promised that he would do. But he's not going to give you what he's giving everyone else. You're going to die in prison. In fact, John didn't just die in prison. He had a gruesome death. Some of us, I read over it so many times that I kind of like overlook just how gruesome it was. The man was beheaded, and then they took his head put it on a dinner plate, and then set it in the middle of the table that everyone was eating from as the party continued. They made a mockery of him, and this man was incredibly devoted to God. Basically, Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you trust me and keep following me, even when I don't meet your expectations. But why, God? Why do you let certain things happen? If, if you were God, why, 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 why have I served you and I've been a faithful small group leader, but I, ha- I haven't been able to have a successful small group like so-and-so? Or if you were God, why, why don't I have so, as many friends as so-and-so? Or why don't, when I post stuff on Instagram or when I post stuff on Facebook, I don't get as many likes as so-and-so? Why, God, did you make me with this body, or with this face, or why am I single? Why, why am I not better at school? Why do, I not know I want, why do I not know what I want to do with my life? We have all these questions towards God. We're like, why this, why that? And looking at this story, John died with no answers, and he died with God not meeting the expectations of what a blessed life would be for him if he was obedient. Maybe the best question isn't why God this, why God that, why did you let this tragedy happen to my family, which is a question I could have easily asked, but I can't ask that question because the best question to ask is will I follow a God who does, will I follow a God that I do not always understand? Will I follow a God who does not live up to my expectations? That's what John's life is speaking to us. And Jesus is like, John, don't pick up the rock of offense at me, because I, I'm not blessing you the way that you want to be blessed in this moment. Just because God doesn't meet your expectations today, friends, Jesus is good. We've been saying it, and I just gotta repeat it again because it's, it's it's something we need to keep saying to ourselves. Jesus is good. I could say a whole lot of things about why Jesus is good, but I'm just going to say Romans 8. A lot of us love Romans 8. It's a great chapter. If you ever have some time, read it. Romans 8. What does he say? He says, he works all things for the good of those that love him. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God. To them who are called according to his purposes. If you trust him, he will work everything out for the good. But you may be like John, where you may not get to see that as soon as you'd hope. It's okay. God's silence is an absence, and his hiddenness hiddenness is not impotence. He is able. He does see you. He is good, even when he doesn't meet our expectations. All right, all right, all right. Who is that other person? We got John, but who is that other person? I'm going to get another sip of water. Awkward water break. Oh, delicious. Thank you. Thank you. Trying to stay alive here, people. Who is that other person? It's Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite people to talk about in the Bible. Joseph's life is incredible. It's truly incredible. If you have some time, go back and read his life. Genesis 37 through 50. That will be a fun hour. And Joseph's life shows us this, and I'm going to say this before I say anything about Joseph. I'm going to say Joseph's life shows us this, that if you reject God because you can't see the good that God is bringing out, you are probably making one of the worst decisions in your entire life. If you you give up on God while he is working things out in your life, if you give up on him along the way, it will be a terrible decision. Joseph's life, I'm not going to go and read it because we don't have a whole lot of time because we got to, we got to, I can't be up here for an hour as much as I would love to. But just some highlights from Joseph's life, and I'm just going to, we got a list up there. There we go. Joseph, Joseph was born to a family of 12. He was number 11 of 12. His father loved him more than all of his brothers. And so his father made him a coat of many colors to signify how much he loved him more than his brothers. This is probably not a good decision, a good parenting decision. His brothers hated him for this, and Joseph could have picked up offense at his brothers, but he didn't. His brothers hate him so much that they take him, throw him in a pit, and in throwing him in a pit, they eventually sell him into slavery because throwing him in a pit isn't good enough. And in being sold into slavery, he goes and becomes the prisoner of an Egyptian official. He could have picked up a fence here. But he doesn't. He becomes the best slave in the house. The official's wife takes notice of him, and she tries to sleep with him. But he says, no, I can't do that to God. I can't do that to my master. I can't do that to you. This is a terrible idea. She lies about him and puts him in prison. He could have taken offense over this. While in prison, he becomes the best prisoner, though. And also while in prison, he helps a guy who worked for the king of Egypt. And this guy promises to get Joseph out. But when the man gets out, he forgets about Joseph, and Joseph stays in prison two more years. He could have gotten offended about that. He could have picked up a fence there. He does end up getting out of prison. God uses him not only to save his family, but also the nation and people all all around the world. Now, when you think about Joseph... All the different times that he could have picked up offense at legitimate things that were done to him. Not expectations, not just being met, but actually, I mean, when's the last time, do y'all know anyone who got sold into slavery? I mean, we've had some things happen to us, but I can't really say I've had someone sell me into slavery. I can't say that. And all the other things, and he's been faithful to God and the people that he served throughout and this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. It said, when Joseph's brothers saw, and this is at the very end, he is now the second most powerful man probably in the world. He is the assistant basically to the king of Egypt. He is over everything. And the king of Egypt at that time, it's believed that he was probably the most powerful man in all the world. So that would make Joseph the most second most powerful man in the world. But it said, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong things that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. Ask, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the, ser- sins of the servants of God of your father. <laughs> Basically, his brothers are like, Dad said, be nice to us. That's basically the message, it's a summary. Dad said, be nice to us. When their their message came to to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him and said, we're your slaves. But Joseph said, don't be afraid, guys. Am I in the place of God? He said, he's basically saying, it's okay that I didn't get treated like God should be treated. It's okay. I don't need to be in God's place. It's not about me. God should be appreciated and treated well, but I understand that I will not always get that. I'm not in the place of God. Powerful statement. I trust God and the place that he has put me in. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives He trusted what God was doing enough to see that there was a whole lot more going on than what he could just see. In the behind picture was God working, the sovereignty of God, bringing things together, looking out for him. When his family wasn't looking out for him, he knew God was. When his master wasn't looking out for him, he knew God was. Guys, he is good, and Joseph models what looking overlooking an offense is like <sighs> he refused to be at the center and he refuses to not believe that god's hand his hands are over his life working out all things together for his good proverbs nineteen eleven. it is to one's glory to overlook an offense all right all right all right as i like close i'm like finishing up and this is like all cool and everything. But if you notice, I said there are two out of three people. These are two of the three people that could take up offense more than anyone else. But there is one who could take up offense more than all others. And that is Jesus. And if you, man, you, you got you to see this. At least see this. Because he's too good to miss this. He's too good to miss what I'm about to say. Jesus could have taken offense over everything. He could have always, he could be in a constant state of taking up offense. I'll just read some things. As a child, he could have taken up offense over the fact that he was born in a manger. He didn't even have a home to be born in. He was born to a poor family. He could have taken offense over that. He could have taken offense over being, his father, it's historically believed his father died when he was at a very young age. He could have taken offense over the fact that his earthly father died. He could have taken offense over the fact that his family and his hometown with all the friendships and acquaintances that he had, they not only rejected his message, but they actually tried to throw him off of a cliff and kill him. That's how much they rejected his own family and hometown and friends. He could have taken offense over the fact that he prayed all night for his 12 disciples, prayed all night, only for after three years of traveling with them, three years, at the end, At the most important moment of his life, when he takes up the cross, they all bail. They leave him. All his boys left him. And not only that, one of his boys was the one who turned him over to the authorities. He could have taken offense over that. He could have taken offense over the fact that it was the Pharisees and the church that wanted to kill him most. He could have taken offense over the fact that he was healing people, and still many people didn't say thank you. He could have taken offense over creating many parables and stories, as Sean helped us to see so clearly how much he tried to help people to understand his truths, and people still refused to under like still refused to listen to his message they still refused to trust him even though he was trying to help them to see what he was saying he could have taken offense over the fact that he was tried by the governor of the land and the governor found him to be innocent and said you are innocent but I'm still gonna let you be killed he could have taken offense over the fact that God the father did not answer his prayer when he said please don't let me take the cross I don't want to be on the cross He could have taken offense that his closest friends didn't even trust his message about the resurrection. And that when he died or when he rose from the dead, no one was there. There was no countdown. There was no applause. He came out of the tomb lonely because no one believed what he was going to say, what he was saying about him rising from the dead. He could have taken offense over how lonely he was. He could have taken offense over how misunderstood he was. He could have taken offense over being lied about, over always having to forgive, over having to give people, over not being able to give people what they deserve. He could have taken offense over always having to help people and never being able to just relax and like have his own. We never read about a vacation. We never read about him going out and just getting a pizza with the boys and relaxing and like we don't read about that. He was always on call, loving others, serving others. He could have always taken offense. He could take offense today over the fact that we still don't love him as he ought to be loved. We still don't praise him as he's the one who really does deserve praise. We still forget about him and tell him how much we love him and we sing about how much we love him and then we go on and live our own lives and we leave him behind. He could take offense today. He could live in a constant state of offense, but he doesn't. He doesn't. What does it say? He's, it says that he, lets the, he, he brings rain to the just and to the unjust, meaning he blesses those who deserve his blessings and those who don't. He loves all. He loves people when they don't deserve to be loved. He loves you when you, when you actually are trying. He is willing to forgive when you ask for forgiveness. He is good, y'all. He's good. All right, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up the band. Y'all can go ahead and come back up. As we've, like, been talking about offense and all, this, all these different things, I just want I just, I to just say this. One thing about offense is that this is tough. This is taking up your cross. This is literally denying the, yourself, like, it's not getting what you deserve when people take advantage of you. It's not going back and getting what you deserve. It's not, it's not taking things into your own hand. It's literally getting on the cross like he did, renouncing what you could try to get, and then going and saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to get on the cross, meaning I'm going to sacrifice what I could try to get. I'm going to sacrifice being able to try to be God, but I'm going to be like Joseph. I am not going to regard myself as God, and I am going to overlook offenses, I am going to forgive when people don't deserve to be forgiven. I am going to overlook the things that have been done to me, wrong, annoying, legitimate, maybe sometimes not that legitimate. I'm going to overlook it all. Friends, this is tough. But this is that higher life that he calls us to. He doesn't call us to be like the rest of the world that says stand up for your rights and go. And when you've been wrong, speak up. And go and give your opinion in season and out of season. And go and look out for yourself in season and out of season. This is that higher life. And as I'm thinking about this idea of just it being this higher life. Anybody who's been around me lately, you've noticed I've been, your boy's been talking about eagles a lot. And I, don't worry, this, this is not, this is totally related. I got a picture of an eagle up here. Eagles are really cool. They dwell upon the heights And I was reading this story the other day about this man who was a hunter, and he went to go shoot an eagle that was, like, in its nest with his little eaglets. (laughs) Because that's what baby eagles are called, you know. And he is up there, and the, the hunter goes and shoots the eagle. And when he shoots it, because this eagle is at the top of a giant tree, the eagle gets hit by the bullet. The bullet gets stuck in its wing. The eagle's like, oh, snap, you hit me. And then the eagle just shakes its feather, or its wing, and the bullet flops out. The man said that the reason it happened was because he's like, yeah, that's what happens. Eagles dwell in places so high that when my bullet, yeah, I may have hit it, but it had lost so much momentum that it couldn't take that eagle out. Friends, in the Bible, God is constantly talking about how he is... He is, the, he is like an eagle to us. He is like an eagle to us. And specifically in Isaiah 40, he says, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up on wings like eagles. He will put you, he will exchange your strength for his. And he will put you in the heights so that the offenses that mess with the rest of the world and the offenses that take out all your friends, when really hard things happen in their lives and they don't know how to cope with it, when those offenses happen to you, when you trust him, that will not be your story. You will overcome. You will dwell, friends, you will be like the eagle who gets shot and shakes off the bullet because the stuff that takes out other people won't take me out because offense doesn't stay on me. This is the higher life, but in the higher life, he's going to look out for you and you're not going to be taken out like you could be taken out. It is a higher life and it is hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it and he's good. All right, let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are good. And thank you, Lord, that you allow us to be like eagles where we can live on the heights above Above the things that take out others and used to take us out, thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live there anymore. Give us the power to overlook offenses and to not be taken out by legitimate wrongs and things that maybe are less legitimate but still wound us. Help us to not pick up the rock of offense, Jesus. You're good. I know you hear us. Thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.